You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. And amen. How you doing, church? Yes, man, it's a great day. We have been in a series through the book of Psalms, and we're going to continue on in that series this morning. And what we've really discovered, at least me personally, and I pray you as well, is that our posture just needs to be a certain way when we when we want to live a lifestyle of worship. That there has to be some some gratitude. That there has to be a, a humble spirit. There has to be a broken and contrite spirit. That we have to come before a holy, mighty, great God, knowing that He is everything, and without Him, we are nothing. Amen. I'm excited this morning to have one of our worship leaders sharing her heart with us and one of her favorite psalms. So Janine is going to be speaking to us this morning, and I am just pumped up to see what the Lord has laid on her heart. So I know she's part of us, but let's give a huge impact welcome anyway for her. Hey, good morning, y'all. So like Pastor Dustin said, my name is Janine, if y'all don't know, and this is usually not the part of the service where I've got a microphone in my hand. It's a little different, but I am so excited to open up the Word of God with you guys this morning. One of my favorite things to do is to walk through scriptures with people. So I hope y'all are excited about that this morning. And fair warning, I used to be an English teacher. We're doing some poetry. I won't keep you 15 minutes, though. We'll, We'll go short, okay? So not a whole class period, and there's not a test. Okay, we're going to be okay. So let's pray, and then let's jump into Psalm 42. Lord God, we love you. And I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to open up your word. God, thank you for giving us this word, something that you can speak to us here thousands of years after it was written. We can see you in a new way and see what you have for us, Jesus. God, I pray that you would use your word to change hearts and lives here this morning, God, and that we may become aware of who you are and how you're working in our lives. In the name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 42. Let's do a little context, a little background. Like every week that Pastor Dustin's had, you know, the little headings underneath the Psalms, right? And Psalm 42 in my Bible, it says, For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. So we can break this down a little bit here. For the director of music, that's pretty obvious, right? Like, This song, it's a song. It was meant to be sung. That's what the Psalms were. They were meant to be sung and in public corporate worship, like we just did. And that's why it's so important on a Sunday morning for us to come together and to sing together. And we sing a lot of the songs we sing. We are very intentional about how we pick them. And we pick songs that are grounded in Scripture because we want you guys to sing Scripture. We talk about that a lot when we're looking at what songs we're going to sing. So we love the song, God So Loved. We're singing John 3.16, right? We're singing that song out over people. And music has a way of getting into your heart and your mind and helping you remember things that you wouldn't otherwise remember. So this was made for public worship. It was sung. And psalms are songs. They're also poetry. Most songs, lyrics, poetry, right? You look at the lyrics of a song. It's a poem. There's going to be some rhyming, some literary devices and things. And they're written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. I saw this quote by John Piper. I don't know if he's a pastor. 
Um, it's a very academic pastor. I enjoy listening to him and reading some of his books. But he said, poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions and not just thoughts. And I think a lot of times in the church, we just miss emotions. They're like, you know, you're not supposed to feel, right? Like you're not supposed to be sad or upset or angry, but that's not how God made us. Like you feel those things because God made those things. He made us that way. And the scripture is full of times that we see how God felt that way too. One of the things I love about the book of Psalms is we see God's emotion. We see his character. And we are thinking and feeling along with the creator of the universe. Like, have you ever had a song just like hit you at that right moment? You're riding in the car and you hear something and you're like, oh my goodness, I needed that right now, right? Like, we think and we feel and the songs and the music have a way of moving us and God made it that way. It's purposeful. Um, so the second part there, we've got a mass skill, right? So for the choir master, a mass skill. And nobody knows what this word means. Nobody knows. Most versions of the Bible don't even attempt to translate it. But some scholars think that it is similar to a Hebrew verb that means to teach or instruct. So maybe when we see that word in the scripture, that psalm was meant to teach or to instruct. And it makes sense when you look at this psalm, as we're going to see as we go through it, that it is teaching and instructing us on what to do when we are in certain seasons of life. And then the last part is the sons of Korah. Anybody ever heard of the sons of Korah? Anybody? In your Bible classes, church, anything? No? Yeah, most people don't know who the sons of Korah are. So they were some Levites. Have you heard of Levites in the Old Testament? Okay. Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. And the Levites were the tribe of Israel. They were the priests. You hear priests and Levites a lot in the Old Testament. So this was a family of Levites, and they were the ones who were tasked with singing in the temple. The scripture says in Exodus 6.24, no, that's what it talks about when they are. Sorry, 2 Chronicles 20.19 talks about how they stand up to praise the Lord with a loud voice. That sounds like a worship leader, right? Standing up to praise the Lord with a loud voice. So that's who the sons of Korah are, and they wrote several psalms. So the Korites. And then, so that's for the director of music, something for instruction from the sons of Korah, these guys who sang loudly, they were Levites. And the setting, and to give us a little more context of this psalm, we don't really know when it was written, but it seems to have been written outside of Jerusalem and somewhere on the other side of the Jordan River. We'll see that the psalmist talks about how he misses the presence of God. And the presence of God was in the temple in Jerusalem. So that's our setting. And it's thought that maybe this was written when King David was running away from his son Absalom, who tried to overthrow him. And Pastor Andrew talked about that a few weeks ago, and all of the crazy in David's family. And maybe some of the Levites who were loyal to David, they went with him into exile. So that's maybe possibly a time that this was written. All right, so context. Got the background of the psalm. So let's read it. If you got your Bible, you can follow along. It's also going to be on the screens. All right, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? 
My tears have been my food day and night. What people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, and therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So we have a repeated conflict here. The psalmist, his soul is downcast. He says it like three or four times, right? He says, why are you so downcast? So that's the problem here, is his soul is downcast. Anybody ever felt that way? Like your soul just feels downcast. Like you, you're in a, like a funk you, know, you can't get out of. And we go through seasons in life, and like if you've never hit that, you will at some point. You know, and some of us sit there longer than others and more times than others but it's part of life. We hit those downcast feelings. And he is downcast. This whole psalm is saying, why are you so downcast, my soul? So let's take it a little by little. I want to break down why he's downcast and what we can do when we feel that way. So verse one, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul for you, my God. Anybody ever hear the little song about as the deer panteth for the water? Anybody grow up in traditional church? Okay, my dad sitting back there. Everybody turn around, wave at David, say, hey, hey, David, yeah. Um, Dad's been in ministry before I was born, like longer than I've been alive. And always music and youth and later into pastoring and things. And I remember back in the day, like in the 80s and 90s, you sang hymns mostly in church. But then they started getting these things called choruses little courses, right? The beginning of contemporary worship, and dad would bring his guitar out, and that was like, whoa, you got a guitar in the church, right? You got an organ and a piano, and then there's this beautiful little song from the psalm. It's nice, little piano music. It was so sweet, and it's just talking about this little deer panting for water, right? It's a little, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Sweet, right? And I always had this picture in my mind with this song of this cute little deer, like Bambi, like leaning down by the water, just kind of drinking. You know, that's what the song sounds like. But if a deer's panting, what's wrong? He's running, right? Like, you don't pant when you're just like hanging out, unless it's Georgia and the heat index is 114 degrees. You know, um, somebody's chasing that deer. A predator of some sort, you know, is chasing after that deer. That deer is running for his life, and he needs some water. He's been running. He's probably been running a long time. And so the psalmist is comparing 
the condition of his soul to that deer that has been running, which is a whole lot different than that sweet little piano song talking about my soul longeth after thee. No. Like, this is a desperate person. He is longing for something. And that longing is for God. We look at some of the Hebrew words here. The word for pant is the word arag, which is to long for, cry, and pant. And flowing streams or streams of water, the word that's used there, it means a bed or a valley of a stream, but also a strong king or hero, a brook, a channel, or a mighty river. So not just a little trickling stream that might be in your backyard, you know, but like he needs some water. And the psalmist is comparing his soul to that. He's like, I need water. I need something to drink. My soul is thirsty. I need God. If we look at verse 2, we see the see that kind of fleshed out a little more. It says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And now remember, he's outside of Jerusalem. He's on the other side of the Jordan River, which he talks about in a couple of verses down. And the temple of God was in Jerusalem. And the temple in that time is where the presence of God dwelt. And Pastor Dustin talked about that last week. It's like coming into his presence was, that was an exclusive invitation. Like you had to be a priest who went into the Holy of Holies, right, to come into the presence of God. Or you had to be a prophet. Like God just didn't give his presence freely to anyone because Jesus hadn't come yet. And we are sinful and God is holy and his presence couldn't dwell with people. But thankfully, we don't have that, right? We can come into God's presence. Like this morning, we can come in here into God's presence, and we can be in that presence without having to have a priest or a special room or God literally come to us and be like, hey, you're special. I chose you as a prophet. Let's have a conversation. You know, that presence of God is open to us where it wasn't open to him. And so when we're far away, it doesn't matter where we are. We don't have to be in this building or any building to be in the presence of God. It's like you are the temple of God. We have access to God. When you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So that temple was in Jerusalem back in the day, the Old Testament. But right now, that temple, there's lots of temples sitting out here. Each of you, if you are a believer, if you are part of the body of Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he lives in you. And he dwells in you. And Psalm 84.1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. You are a dwelling place of the Lord Almighty. And you are lovely. Isn't that amazing that Jesus did that for us? He took things that weren't lovely, and he made them into dwelling places of the Lord Almighty. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, again, you are also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You are marked and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he's dwelling in you right now to be a part of Christ. Like, 
that psalmist was longing to meet with God, we can meet with God any time of the day because he's with us. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while people are saying to me all day long, where is your God? And this is just kind of a further explanation of his feeling. We see the depth of his emotion here. My tears have been my food. Now, that might be a little dramatic if that's coming from, like, your 13-year-old, right? Like, oh, my tears have been my food. But, like, how many of us have been there when we're so upset and we're so downcast that we can't even eat? Like, all you can do is cry. Like, I can think of times in my life like that. I think we all will experience that at some point or another. And I do want to make a distinction here that we're not talking about depression as in clinical depression or any other sort of mental illness here. Like, he's talking about the seasons of life, right, that we all go through. And there are more things, like, with clinical depression and other mental illnesses. And I think God is really gracious to us when we deal with those things and giving us doctors and therapists that can help us alongside with those who love Jesus to deal with those things and overcome those things. But I do want to make that distinction that this is not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the seasons of life, right, when our souls are downcast. Because we all have those dark nights of the soul, I've heard it called before, when we have people coming at us from every direction, right? Like we're already upset about whatever's going on. And then you have people saying, where's your God? What's he doing now? Like, what's going on? And I don't know about y'all, but I'm really good about letting people get in my head. And all the time, my sweet husband is like, stop getting in your head. Like, this is not the truth. Like, what you are thinking is not the truth. And it's really easy to get into that state when you're in those downcast moments. And you're already like, what is going on? God's not hearing me. God's not answering my prayers. And then you hear other people being like, what? What's going on with you? Like, what, where's God? How is he helping you? Is he not helping you? And we start to believe that. And we forget that we are temples of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who calls us lovely, who calls us worthy because of Jesus, who tells us the truth that he loves us, and he's not going to leave us even when it seems like he's not there. So what do we do when we're in this season. And I think we can glean from the next few verses some practical ways that we can pull ourselves out, really, and not really pull ourselves out, but depend on the Holy Spirit to bring us out of these seasons. So the first thing when you are, your soul is downcast is to remember. It's the very first thing to remember. So let's look at verses four through six. It says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? And why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. My soul is downcast within me, and therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and the heights of Hermon from Mount Pisgah. So in verses four and six, he says, these things I remember, therefore I will remember. We have to remember. We have short memories sometimes. Anybody have problems remembering? Yeah. I think after two kids, my brain has kind of been shot. <laughs> after having a four-month-old, like, that, you know, new mom brain is a little crazy these days. It's like, man, I shouldn't forget some of these things that I'm forgetting. Like, what is going on? It's hard for us to remember. And 
it's crazy to think that sometimes we go through things where God has shown up. He has been faithful. We are sitting on top of that mountain and like God is good and he is glorious. And oh my goodness, he's so faithful. I'll never forget how faithful God is. And then we turn around and we're like, oh God, where are you? I, my soul is downcast. What's going on? We forget. And the Bible talks a lot about remembering over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Here's another Scripture that talks very similarly. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 23. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Sound like a song? Yeah. To him, great is thy faithfulness. It comes from that passage. Where Jeremiah was writing about the fall of Jerusalem when the Babylonians came in, took the people into captivity, and he's looking at all of the destruction around him. And he was the weeping prophet. And, and God told him, straight up when he called him, he said, hey, you're going to prophesy and nobody's going to listen to you. And he's like, oh, that's great. Awesome ministry. Okay, God. And he did. He was faithful and he followed what God asked him to do. And they didn't listen. The Israelites didn't listen. They didn't repent. Jerusalem fell. The Babylonians took them into captivity. And he's remembering all of these things. But then he's also remembering God's faithfulness to Israel in the past and how he's been faithful before and he'll be faithful again. And we have to do the same thing. We have to remember when God has been faithful, because those times that he doesn't seem to be faithful, we have to remember that faithfulness. And that's why we sing songs about that. We sing songs like, great is thy faithfulness. Um, we have a lot of songs about faithfulness in our list of songs that we sing. So much so, there's a couple of them we looked at. We to add new songs this past year, and we're like, we already have songs about this. <laughs> like We sing about God's faithfulness because we need that reminder. I know I need that reminder. So how can we practically, I'm going to give you something practical you can do to help remember God's faithfulness more than just, hey, sing a song. You know, that's, that's good. We're going to sing songs, right? But something more practical. So in the Bible, we see a lot of times that Israel would commemorate great acts of God's faithfulness by building an altar or by using stones. And in 1 Samuel 7, 12, the prophet Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So Ebenezer means God is my hope. And he set up a stone there. This is, Israel had come together, the whole nation, after 20 years of rebelling against God. They had gathered, and they were repenting. And they were coming before the Lord saying, we're sorry, we're turning from our ways. And while that was going on, the Philistines, their enemies came. And they said, hey, we're going to attack them. And God's like, nope, it's going to take care of them. And God took care of the Philistines while Israel was repenting. And Samuel said, God has done this great thing. And so we're going to remember it by this stone. And we're going to call it Ebenezer. So we sing a song, a hymn, Come Thou Fount. And it's like, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. And it's kind of weird when you sing the word Ebenezer. Like, that's Ebenezer Scrooge? <laughs> no. Um, Ebenezer means God's help. And so I've heard people before talk about Ebenezer stones and things I've done with youth group girls before. It's like, hey, pick up a stone to remember what God has done. 
pick up this stone and write on it, draw on it, whatever, and make this your Ebenezer stone. This is your stone of remembrance. Your stone, every time you look at this stone, you remember what God has done, where he is taking you from and to. And so we don't have to set up literal Ebenezer stones. Like, you don't have to literally go and pick up a stone. You can if you want to. That would be awesome. But think about things in your life and markers in your life of times God has helped you. Like, what can you do? You can journal. I like to journal um, to write down, like, what God has done. So you can look back and say, God, you've been faithful. Or pick up a literal stone or have a person as a marker or whatever it is, whatever that marker is for you, that Ebenezer stone, set those up. So every time you look at those things, you can remember, hey, God's been faithful before and he'll be faithful again. So we have to remember. The second thing that the psalmist did was worship. Verse 5, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast, and why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then down in verse 8, he says, By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And his singing helps us remember that God's with us. There's something about opening your mouth and putting, like, motion to those words and those songs and something that we've said a lot through this series of psalms is you trust God and worship through it. Like, you really, you trust God and you worship through it. You sing the songs. And singing is such an integral part of our relationship with Jesus. That's why we place importance on it in our services. And why there's a whole Christian music industry, right? Like, we have worship music you can listen to in your car and on your phone. And you can trust God and you can worship through it. And singing is so important to God that he sings as well. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord God rejoices over you with singing because you are his dwelling place and you are lovely and he loves you. And those times that we have a hard time opening our mouths to sing, he sings over us. I heard somebody say one time that here on earth is the only time we will ever worship God through pain and sorrow. When we get to heaven, there's, there's no pain, there's no tears, and there's no sorrow. But here, when we worship through the pain and the sorrow, we get to know a part of God that we would not know otherwise. We would not know him as the comforter. We wouldn't know him as our refuge and our strength when we can't stand. But because of the pain, we get to know that part of God. And we trust him. And we worship through it. A.W. Tozer, a theologian, said, God does his deepest work in our darkest hours. Songs comfort us in sorrow. They're also good for celebration and reminding of, like, all the good things, you know. But it's those sorrowful songs, those deep songs that speak to our soul. We get to know a different piece of God, and he brings something out of us. You know, I love the song that we ended the set with today, New Wine. Like, in depression and depressing, he's bringing new wine. He's bringing something new out of us being crushed and pressed. Anybody ever... Um, made a mixtape or a mixed CD before? 
show my age, I would tell you making the mixtapes back in a long time ago. Um, that's how I first led worship for my youth group was I would make mixtapes because we didn't have anybody who could play instruments and make a mixtape of worship music, my little tape in my overhead projector slides, you know, papers. That was leading worship back in, you know, the 90s. Um, you know, we'd make mixtapes and CDs or playlists, right, to commemorate things. You'd make a mixtape for somebody you liked or like a road trip mixtape or, you know, something to commemorate a time. Like if you look at those playlists, I have some interesting named playlists. Gerald laughed the other day on my iTunes. A song came up and it, the name of the playlist was songs downloaded from MySpace. Anybody remember MySpace and downloading songs from MySpace? Yeah. So we have songs that help like define a time period in our lives, right? And so the same is true with our worship music. Like it defines a time in our life. It encapsulates that time and it helps us to remember, as we talked about, but also to trust him and worship through it. Um, I think about the song, Your Love Never Fails. I don't know if y'all know that one. Um, the chorus says, you stay the same through the ages and your love never changes if your love never fails. When I hear that song, I think about the time that that song was around me a lot, and God tends to do that, just puts songs in your way that you need. And I went through a really terrible breakup, and that song was all around me. As I, that relationship failed, and the love that I thought was there, and that relationship failed, but God's love didn't. And it was the same through the ages. And even though that was a really, really tough time, and it was a downcast time for my soul, um, there's that reminder, this love didn't fail, even though this earthly love did. And think about the song, Goodness of God. And we sing that one a lot here, too. And it's, it's a good song about God's faithfulness. And um, last year, in June of last year, I had a miscarriage. And not a lot of people knew that I was even pregnant at the time. And I was standing here on stage, and I knew that I was probably going to lose that baby. And I was on stage that morning, and the invitation song, our response song, was Goodness of God. And it was everything I could do to hold back the tears as Pastor Andrew and I were up here leading that song and going through a really tough time, not wanting to lose this baby, but knowing I probably was going to lose this baby, and singing, all my life you've been faithful, and all of my life you've been good. And his goodness is running after me, and it's running after you. We trust God, and we worship through it. And that was a rough little time. But I know on the other side of that, God is good, and God is faithful. And a few months later, we found out we were pregnant with sweet little Addie, who came early and all kinds of things. But he's good and he's faithful, and she's amazing, and I'm glad that we have her. We trust God, and we worship through it. The third thing is to become aware of the presence of God. So remember, God's presence wasn't where he was. He had to be in Jerusalem, and he wanted to go and meet with God. He couldn't physically go to that place, but he could remember what it was like to be there. So this is when the psalm gets a little more poetic in verse 7. 
um, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and your breakers have swept over me. And that might seem a little weird when we start talking about waterfalls and we're talking about like my soul's downcast, but hey, that's some waterfalls and waves and breakers and the beach, you know. Um, but poetry has double meaning. And water is used a lot as an image in the Bible. And a lot of times for the presence of God. Um, the same word that was used for deep here in verse 7 is used for, um, was used in Jonah, chapter 2. He said, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. And we use water imagery a lot in worship. It was in the song, So Will I, today. For the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. The song, Oceans, it's kind of a joke in the worship-leading community that you can write a hit worship song by talking about oceans or water or something of that sort. Like, we, use a lot, we have a lot of songs about water. Um, it is well, in your hymn, it is well, in peace like a river, and water. Talk about water. Jesus' voice is also described as a waterfall in Revelation 1, 15. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Can you imagine the voice of Jesus? It sounds like a waterfall, a rushing river. And the prophet Ezekiel also said this about God's voice in Ezekiel 43. He said, And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east, and his voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and his land was radiant with his glory. And that glory that Ezekiel is referring to was the glory of the presence of God that had left Jerusalem, that had left the temple when the Babylonians came. And Ezekiel was given a vision of that glory coming back to the temple. And it was, the sound was like a rush of the waterfalls. And the glory is the presence of God. So I want to jump over to Ezekiel for just a second. We will come back to uh, Psalm 42. But in Ezekiel 47, he's talking about the water in the temple. Let's read this really quickly. Um, the man, and here this man is talking about a man who was guiding Ezekiel through these visions of God. Most people believe that this was the pre-incarnate form of Jesus, was Jesus with Ezekiel. So the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from underneath the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, which is about a third of a mile, and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty waters there become fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. 
there will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Enulam, and there will be places for spreading their nets. And the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh, and they will be left out for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both the banks of the river, and their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves So this river in Ezekiel has a few different layers of meaning. It is the literal river that will run out of the temple in Jerusalem one day when Jesus comes back. That river will flow out from there and go out into the sea, just as he described. But it also is a symbolic picture of God's presence flowing out from Jerusalem and into all the world. It's a picture of the gospel. And it's the river that starts ankle deep and knee-deep, and waist-deep, and so rushing that it can't be crossed. And that river of the presence of God is what he offers to us. We have a deep need, right? We need God every day of our lives, no matter the season, like we need him. And a deep need calls for a deep remedy. And if we look back at that deer in Psalm 42, if you just wanted a stream of water, the deer wants a stream. But God, he offers us a river. He offers us a river of his presence that's so deep that it washes over any issues we have, any problems, any downcast moments. We can get into that river, become aware of that river and that presence in our lives. And it's so deep and it's so rushing that we can even contain it. And everywhere that river flows, it brings life. We become like that tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and out of season. We talked about back in Psalm chapter 1. It's like, I think that's, that's what we need, right? We need that river of God's presence in our lives every day. But how often do we even live our lives in an awareness of his presence? I know I don't always. It's easy for us just to, you know, go through our lives live our day-to-day things, take care of the kids, do our jobs, come home, cook dinner, clean the house, all of those things, and forget that we are temples of the living God whose spirit dwells in us, who offers us a river that flows out from his presence and into the world to bring life. And that's what he offers us. God's presence, it brings relief to a thirsty heart and hope to a downcast soul. His presence was the answer to the problem that the psalmist had in Psalm 42. And he couldn't get there. He couldn't get to Jerusalem, to God's presence. But we can. We have that same problem too. We have that same need for God's presence in our lives. And we can get there every single second of our lives. We don't have to come into a building. We don't have to even be gathered together like this to be aware of God's presence. It's in your relationship with him. Like becoming aware of who he is how he works in your life every single day. And if you are a Christ follower in this room, he's in you. So my challenge to you is become aware of God's presence. Ask him for that awareness of his presence. Like, we're going to sing a song here in a minute that is 
just the words of the song. <laughs> like, let us become more aware of your presence. And if each of us becomes more aware of God's presence in our lives every day, and that river of life flows out from us, think about what it would do in your family. Think about the life it would bring in your job, here in this church, here in this city. Think about the river of life that would flow out of Impact Church into Harlem if we are all living in an awareness of God's presence. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.